All right. Well, the day is finally here. I've been waiting for it for a while. I've been preparing for this message or this series of messages, thinking about it, praying about it for about a year now. My name is Pastor Jake. I'm the lead pastor here at Great Oaks. Uh, Welcome, Germantown campus, Washington campus online. I'm excited that you're here for the kickoff to this series on the Holy Spirit. It's going to be awesome. Seven weeks in the Holy Spirit. It's called Ghosted. Um, But if you have your Bible, you can head over to John chapter 16 in Genesis. Actually, we'll be in Genesis first, and then we'll get into uh, John chapter 16 eventually. But have you ever been ghosted before? Like, how many of you have no idea what, don't raise your hand, okay? So, have you ever been ghosted? Well, here's what ghosting is. Ghosting is when you cut off all communication for no reason and don't don't explain why, okay? So, you're texting with somebody and all of a sudden you just stop texting and they text back and text back and you never answer, okay? Ghosting is when you're dating someone and they just like totally stop communicating on all fronts and you don't know why. There's no explanation. There's no anything, like, hey... How'd your date with Sally go last night? You're sitting that second or third date. I thought it went great, but I've been texting her and she's ghosting me, all right? She won't answer. Really? I thought she was more mature than that. Yeah, me too. Me too. Ghosting's not just in dating. It could be a son or a daughter who is refusing to answer texts of their mother, right? How many moms are like, I've been through that, right? I get ghosted all the time by my teenager. They won't answer my messages, my texts. They leave my calls, my messages, my texts unanswered. A friend could ghost another friend for no reason, just cut off all communication. It's, it's frustrating. It's not fun being ghosted. And just a side note here, if you are the one doing the ghosting, then you, you, it's incredibly immature and you should stop right? Especially in a dating relationship or something like that. So if you ghosted somebody, you are ghosting someone, just send them a text today, explain, apologize, tell them that you're trying to be a better human being going forward in 2020. (laughs) So ghosting, though, is when someone you love disappears without explanation. When someone you love disappears without explanation. And it's, it's, hard. It's difficult. It's sad when you are ghosted. But, but here's my point of this in this series. My point is that we tend to ghost the Holy Spirit. We tend to ignore the Holy Spirit. We ghost the Holy Ghost. Like when you first get saved, you're all excited and there's like messages going back and forth between you and the Holy Spirit. But then somewhere along the way, you lose that initial zeal and excitement and you begin to ghost the Holy Spirit, not listen to his leading and his voice and his guidance and his conviction anymore. You're too busy or you're just not interested or whatever. And, and we definitely don't seek him out, much less, you know, not listen to what he has to say. And I think there's a few reasons for this. Um, one is that you just don't understand who he is. You don't understand who the Holy Spirit is. Another one is you don't understand his his purpose, his role, his function. And uh, so there's just this lack of understanding. Uh, another reason could be just pride. You think you don't need the Holy Spirit, so you don't worry about it. You're kind of prideful in that way. But I think uh, the reason that a lot of us are doing what I'm describing to the Holy Spirit, ghosting the Holy Spirit, ignoring the Holy Spirit, is because we have some deeply held misunderstandings, misconceptions about 
the Holy Spirit. We don't really understand who he, but we've got misunderstandings about the Holy Spirit. And, and man, I do not want to live my life without the power and work and leading of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to live my life without the power and work and leading of the Holy Spirit. And as your pastor, I don't want you to live your life without the power and work and leading of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I would say this. You cannot live the life that God wants you to live while you're ghosting the Holy Ghost. You can't do it. If you try to live the Christian life out without the working and guidance and power of the Holy Spirit, then, then you will end up dry. Your labor for Christ will lead you to be burned out and you will miss out on fellowship with God. If a church ghosts the Holy Ghost, then they will either become a country club, just shallow, no depth, no real activity, no real transformation and the world, or they'll become a legalistic, empty, ritualistic religion, religious institution, void of all life and all movement. There is, there is no joy. There is no peace. There is no revelation. There is no vision, there is no freedom without the Holy Spirit's activity in your life. So this is a big deal. It's a huge deal. I feel this divine potential in this series, potential for God to dramatically and miraculously transform lives, to transform your life as you seek him out, as you pivot from, from ignoring him to actually seeking him in your daily life and in your, in your family. Now, when we get into discussions about the Holy Spirit, our tendency is to want to talk about the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit, right? We want to talk about his power and his work in our lives, and we, we, we go there. So we want to talk about miracles. We ask questions like, what is speaking in tongues, and is that something we should be concerned with? You know, is, is prophecy still a thing? We ask questions like that. Or maybe we go this route. We say, eh, I got the Holy Spirit when I was saved, when I was 14. I don't need to talk about it anymore. Anybody like that? You just, I told you I love you when we were married. I never changed, so I don't have to tell you again. <laughs> right? I don't need to talk about the Holy Spirit. We go that route. Or, or we get into a debate about whether or not the gifts of the Spirit, the miraculous gifts of the Spirit are for today, or they died, they died out with the death of the last apostle. So we're going to get into all of that. We're going to talk about all of that in this series, but I think it's a mistake to, to talk about or jump into the work and power and even the purpose of the Holy Spirit without first talking about who he is, who is the Holy Spirit, okay? Another way to say that is that it's a mistake to answer the question, what is the job of the Holy Spirit, before the question, who is the Holy Spirit? So today I want to talk to you about who is the Holy Spirit. In this, in this series, here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend three weeks talking about the person, purpose, and power of the Holy Spirit. 
Then weeks four through six, we'll talk about his gifts. And we're going to go through 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, verse by verse through those chapters to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. And then the last week of this series, week seven, we'll talk about walking in the Spirit. The Bible talks about walking in the Spirit. What does that mean to actually live your life in the Spirit? So we'll talk about that. Another way to think about this is we'll talk about the who, the what, and the how, okay? So today I'll talk about who. Who is the Holy Spirit? We'll, we'll talk about what the Holy Spirit is not. We'll talk about what the Holy Spirit is. And then we're going to get into some tr- Trinitarian doctrine. So how many of you prayed this morning that Pastor Jake would talk about Trinitarian doctrine? Did you, did you hope for that? Okay, you did? Okay, good. So you hope for uh, The Washington campus was like, yeah, Trinitarian doctrine! All right? They're pumped. You guys are pumped online. You're like, yes, finally. All right, drive in your car while you're listening online. That's probably dangerous. Trinitarian doctrine. We're going to get into some Trinitarian doctrine, and then we'll end in John chapter 16, and I'll give you a challenge from that passage. Um, but let me, let, let's do this. Let me, let me start with a little bit of a test this morning, okay? So everybody close your eyes. Um, here in Germantown, in Washington, online, close your eyes. If you're driving, don't close your eyes. That would be dangerous. But close your eyes. And get in your mind's eye a picture of, of God, Close your eyes and think about God. Who is God, or, or think about what does he look like? What does God look like? Just get a picture in your mind of God. What does he look like? Okay, open your eyes. Was it, a lot of you, it was something like this. It's like he's got a white beard, and he's, maybe there's some thunder and some lightning, and he's powerful, and he's strong, and he's in heaven. Maybe you're thinking of the, you know, the famous painting where he's kind of reaching down like this, Right? That kind of a thing, that's God. Okay, it's God the Father. Let's, let's, let's do the next one. Close your eyes. Think now about Jesus. Get a picture, close your eyes and get a picture of Jesus in your mind's eye. What does Jesus look like? What does Jesus look like? Okay, open your eyes. Was it something like this? Pretty, pretty close. He's got a beard. He's got flowing hair. A lot of times we picture him with a, a beauty pageant kind of sash across, right? Right, burgundy or blue, depending on where you come from, right? One of those. Got that sash going. He's got, he's very like, he's got great complexion, right? He's got great complexion. This is Jesus. This is what we think about when we think about Jesus. Okay, close your eyes. Last test. Get a picture in your mind of the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit look like? I'm going to give you a couple seconds to think about this. Picture in your mind about the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit look like? Okay, open your eyes. Is it something like this? Wait a second. That's Casper, the friendly ghost. Yeah, it's funny, but isn't it interesting that when it comes to God the Father and God the Son, we've got some pretty standard pictures in our mind, right? Whether they're correct or not is a whole nother sermon. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we're like, ah, I'm not really, not really sure what the Holy Spirit looks like. And some of that is because of lack of knowledge and lack of understanding, but a lot of it is because it's supposed to be that way. What I mean is that it's a mystery. God's nature is a mystery, and we can't fully understand his nature, right? He's, his ways are higher than our ways, and we'll never be able to fully grasp who he is is, right? 
But it's interesting because when it comes to the father, we're like, yeah, yeah, he's like, you know, bearded and he's like older and like, but he's buff and he's strong and he's like in heaven and he's like Zeus, right? He looks like Zeus. That's what, that's what God the father looks like. And Jesus is like really kind looking and he's, you know, got a beard and he's white. Anybody else see a problem with that? That would have been weird if Jesus was white. In first century Palestine, right? That would have been strange. He wasn't white. But we look at him, we think he's a European dude. He's got long hair, beauty sergeant, pash. Sash, I'm sorry. He's, you know what I'm saying. But the Holy Spirit, we're like, oh, what is the Holy Spirit? I don't, uh, maybe a dove? Maybe fire? Wind? Maybe you pictured some wind. I don't know how you picture wind. Maybe that's it. So it's, it's confusing, right? Let, let's try to correct that a little bit today. First, we'll talk about what the Holy Spirit is not. The Holy Spirit is not an it or a thing. A lot of us, we think of the Holy Spirit as this impersonal force. Like we say things like, it led me to do this. It gave me this unction or this leading. It guided me. But the Holy Spirit is is not an it or a thing. Some of you are way too in love with Star Wars. And you think the Holy Spirit is the force that baby Yoda uses, right? You guys know baby Yoda? You think it's the force that baby Yoda is using. Okay, the, the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force being used by baby Yoda. Okay, that's not, that's not what we're talking about. And then I'll say this, the Holy Spirit is not a ghost. And let me be careful here. You, you may, how many of you grew up in a tradition in church where you called the Holy Spirit the Holy Ghost? How many of you have heard that before? You called him the Holy Ghost. That's totally fine. I'm not coming against that at all. In fact, we're using that terminology in this series, right, to kind of make a point with being ghosted and all that. So it's not, not an issue. What I mean by this is that the Holy Spirit is not a ghost in the way that we think of ghosts usually. Usually when you say the word ghost or hear the word ghost, you're talking about someone who's dead, who hangs around on earth to like finish some business, right? That's kind of what a ghost is. Um, and so that, what I'm saying is that the Holy Spirit is not a ghost in that sense. He's not, he's not, a, he's not a ghost. He's, we're not talking about the ghost of Jesus, all right? Like Jesus died and now his ghost is like haunting churches. That's not, that's not what we're talking about, okay? So it's not, it's not the ghost of Jesus here. So, so the Holy Spirit is not an it, it's not a thing, not a ghost. Let's talk about what the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is a he. Now, I'm not saying the Holy Spirit is a dude. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying he's a male. I'm saying that the Holy Spirit has personhood. He's not an impersonal force. He has, he's, has personhood. The Bible says that he grieves that he has joy, that he gets pleased, that, that he, is, he is guiding us, leading us, offering us wisdom, among many other things. So the Holy Spirit is, is a he in that he has, he has personhood. But a lot of us think of the Holy Spirit as like this kind of power or this force that Jesus and God use, right? Like Jesus and God are in heaven, and they're kind of like, wielding the Holy Spirit on earth. 
Like he's kind of like electricity. And they're just kind of using the Holy Spirit. Again, if you love Star Wars, exactly like Yoda would use the force. Some of us think of the Holy Spirit that way. That's not, that's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a he. He, he has personhood. He has, he has personhood. He's not some lesser part of, of God. That brings me to my next point about who he is. So he, he, he's a he. He has personhood. And then the Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity. Okay, let's, let's talk Trinity for just a few minutes. But right here, right, right, out, of, right out of the gate, I want you to hear that I, I can't fully explain the Trinity to you today, all right, or tomorrow, or ever, okay? And so... We cannot fully understand the triune God and how that all works with our finite, limited amount of brain capacity or our finite, limited amount of language at our disposal. And I definitely cannot explain it in the next 10 minutes. Okay, so, it's a, so I'm not going to be able to fully explain, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a stab at it, all right? But I'm not going to be able to fully explain it. Let me start here. The word Trinity, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. It's a term we use to kind of summarize all that the Bible teaches about God's nature, that he is three persons but one God, Trinity. Okay, so tri means three, right? And unity means one. Three persons, one God, tri, unity, Trinity. Okay, that's where, that's where the word Trinity comes from. He is one God and yet three distinct persons. And each person is fully God within the Godhead, within the Trinity. Each person is fully God, but it's not three separate gods. Okay, three equals one, one equals three. You guys are totally in with me. I can tell it's already figured out. You're done. We could probably stop now, right? Like that makes perfect sense. Here's three succinct statements that describe the doctrine of the Trinity, this nature of God in the Trinity. Here it is. God is three persons. Each person is fully God. There is one God. God is three persons. Each person is fully God. There is one God. We're going to say that together on three, okay? Online, Washington campus, Germantown, we're all going to say this together on three. Ready? One, two, three. God is three persons. Each person is fully God. There is one God. This is the doctrine of the Trinity, the doctrine of, uh, of the Trinity, three succinct statements that describe him as the Trinity. And there are some illustrations that have been used over the centuries uh, to kind of explain the Trinity, right? The problem with illustrations explaining the Trinity is that we're using a finite thing to explain and describe something that's infinite and therefore they can get us into trouble if we take them too far. So my, my encouragement to you is just not to take them too far, okay? So just listen, you know, take an illustration, whatever it is, and help it, let it help you take a step towards understanding, but don't take it too far and get all off into crazy town. So 
You've seen uh, one of these, right? Have you ever seen one of these? Okay, I knew that Germantown would not know what this is, but Washington did. They were just all like, it's an egg, all right? But you guys in Germantown, you've never seen one of these, right? Okay, let me just ask again. It's one of those things. Church, we can't talk. We're scared. We're scared to answer questions. Let me just tell you, the answer to this question is not Jesus, okay? It's not. You ever seen one of these? Yeah, it's an egg, right? You've seen an egg before, hopefully. I'm not the only one that eats eggs and sees eggs. A lot of people have used the egg to explain the Trinity, and it goes like this, that the egg has three parts, just like God has three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The egg, the egg has the yolk and the what? Egg white, the white, and the shell. You guys are nailing this. Yolk, egg white, shell, but it's all egg, right? All of it's egg, just like Father, Son, Holy Spirit is all God. The problem with this illustration is that it can't be these three things separately at the same time and so and still be an egg. And it can't do different things. The yolk can't like leave this and go do something else. In other words, let me explain it this way. Whatever the yolk is doing, as it's an egg, whatever the yolk is doing, the egg white is doing and the shell is doing, right? So when I toss it up in the air and catch it, it it's all being tossed up in the air and all being caught. Does that make sense? It can't, it can't be distinct. So in, in that way, uh, the egg is kind of insufficient as an illustration uh, for the Trinity. So you can just catch that over there. Um, the other one was H2O. It was boiled, guys. It was hard boiled. You guys are, just calm down, all right? Uh, and he didn't catch it, but he almost did, all right? He almost did. The other one is H2O. H2O is found most commonly in what form? Water, right? Liquid. And so when water is at a low enough temperature, it becomes ice, which is solid. When it's at a high enough temperature or it evaporates, it becomes gas, steam. So it's a third, uh, third, third what? State, right? <laughs> third state. And so that in the same way, God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit at different times. And so some people have used H2O to say, hey, it's, it's solid, it's liquid, it's gas, but it's always two hydrogen molecules and one oxygen molecule. The problem with this one is similar to the egg in that one body of water can't be all three of these things at the same time, right? And also, these, these things can't, they also, these things have distinct uh, characteristics that the others don't have. So when, so when water is solid, when it's ice, it's got characteristics that the liquid form of water does not contain. Are you tracking with me at all in this? You have to, so, so the illustration kind of breaks down, but it's good. It kind of helps us understand a little bit. The other one is just that God, people will say God is, is three persons and that he's kind of like three roles. He has three functions. He has three roles. And this illustration really can get us into some dangerous ground when it comes to theology and Trinitarian doctrine. But it goes like this. Just like I, Jake, am a father and a son and a pastor, but always Jake in all of those times, so God, at times, is Father and Son and Holy Spirit, but always God. The problem with that is that in this illustration, there's just one person acting in these different ways at different times. And the doctrine of the Trinity is God is three persons. You tracking with me? 
And so it, it doesn't really help us understand it all that much. That would be, that would be like me. Oh, well, let me just say this too. It's, it breaks down in the sense that we not only see God in three persons, distinct persons, and their activity, like an aspect of who God is in the Holy Spirit and in Jesus and in God the Father. We don't just see it that way. We also see in the scripture the Holy Spirit and God the Father and God the Son interacting with each other, right? So they're not just this here for a minute and then this here for a minute, but they are interacting with each other. That would be like the Father Jake talking to the Son Jake about the Pastor Jake. And that would be crazy, (laughs) right? That would be crazy. So it doesn't really work out for us in the end. But these are, these are kind of the common things that we say, illustrations that we use about the Holy Spirit. He's like, or about um, God and his Trinitarian uh, nature. He's, he's like an egg. He's like H2O. It's kind of like rolls and, and all of that. But each of them, separate from one another, kind of breaks down for different reasons, right? So let me, let me talk to you about what the Bible says about the Trinity. Let me, let me get into the scriptures with you. Did you know that the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and Holy Spirit, that shows up all over the Bible, Old Testament to New Testament. In fact, we can go almost to the very beginning and find hints of God's triune nature there. Because I think some of you think of God in this kind of evolutionary way, that God evolved over time, like Old Testament creator God was this thing, and then Jesus, and he was Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit with the church and Acts, and you kind of think of him in this evolutionary, progressive type way, but, but that's, that's not the way it is, because a big part or big piece of the doctrine of the Trinity is this, that God is three persons, each person is fully God, there is one God, and he has eternal eternally existed this way. He has eternally existed this way. He's always been this way. And you may be going like, nah, I've read the Bible, pastor. Jesus isn't hanging out with Moses. It's not the way the timeline goes. The Holy Spirit comes and acts. That's when it happens. You may say, no, 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 there's this timeline and this progression of God, and this is his, his nature. He's this, and then he's this, and now he's He's this. Okay, I get what you're saying, but let me show you a couple things all throughout the Bible that I think are pretty interesting. Let's spend a little bit of time in Genesis. Look at what Genesis 1.26 says. This is when God is creating us. So almost all the way back to the first verse, right, the 26th verse of the Bible, God is creating men and women, humankind, and he says this, verse 26. Then God said, let us (coughs) make man... In our image, after our likeness. Now, a lot of people will say, well, he's talking to angels. He's just talking to angels. He's including them. He's like, hey, let me include the angels. Hey, guys, let's make man in our likeness, in our image. The problem with that is that are we made in the image of angels? Eh, the answer to that is also not Jesus. Are we made in in the image of angels, beloved? No, no. We're made in the image of God, not in the image of angels. So this is not God talking to angels. This is God talking to the other members, God the Father talking to the other members 
of the Trinity. Look at Genesis 3, just a page or two later. This is after Adam and Eve have sinned. They've eaten the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat. God has pronounced what's going to happen, kind of a curse. And then it says this in verse 22 of chapter 3. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. That's Genesis 3. Look at Genesis 11. This is the Tower of Babel. If you remember this, mankind had basically decided they're going to prove to God that they are equal to God by building this tower to reach to heaven. And so they're doing that, and then God stops them by confusing their language and ends up separating man from one another, right? And that's how we get nations and people groups and things like that. And so verse 11, I'm sorry, chapter 11, verse 7 says this in the middle of the Tower of Babel situation. God says, come, let us go down, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. Let us go down. Okay, then there's this really famous passage, not just in Genesis, there's this really famous passage in, in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah uh, is called to be a prophet, and in his calling, he sees a vision of the throne room of God, right? A vision of the throne room of God. It's a terrifying thing. We talk about it like it's like, oh, this is cute and fun, but it's probably terrifying. He sees the God the Father, he sees God on a throne, high and lifted up. He immediately feels the weight of his sin. He says, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord, and I'm going to die. He thinks he's going to die. God takes care of that with a coal from the fire in the altar, touching Isaiah's lips. Must have been painful, right? And so he goes through that whole thing. And then there's this whole question that goes out from God, whom shall I send? Right? We talk about this in mission service. We talk about this when we're talking about mission trips. Whom shall I send? And Isaiah goes, here am I, send me. Okay, send, send me. But look at the question that God asks in Isaiah 6, verse 8. He says, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Who will go for us? And listen, this is not just in Genesis and Isaiah. It's all over the Old Testament, you don't have it spelled out Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That wouldn't have made sense in a Jewish context. But you have these markers all throughout the Old Testament pointing to the Trinitarian nature of God. God is three persons. Each is fully God, but there is one God. You have that all over. You've got it in Psalm 110 and Malachi 3 and Hosea 1 and Proverbs 8. It's, it's, it's all over. It's all over. But then we get to the New Testament, it gets real clear, right? Kind of, like it gets clearer, right? Um, Matthew chapter 3, probably the best passage as far as Trinity goes. We see three different, the three different persons of the Trinity doing different things. It's the baptism of Jesus, okay? So I'll read it to you. Jesus is being baptized. It says this in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 3. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom 
I am well pleased. So in this one passage, we have all three members of the Trinity doing different things at the same time, right? We've got Jesus, the Son, being baptized by John the Baptist. We've got a voice from heaven, God the Father, speaking. And we've got the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus in the form of a dove. This is the beginning of Jesus's ministry. In fact, his baptism is what marks the beginning of his ministry. But at the very end of his ministry, at the end of the book of Matthew, he kind of gathers the troops together and he gives them this one last, here's what you need to go do. It's called the Great Commission. It's in Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus can do whatever he wants, right? He can say whatever he wants. He chooses with one of the last things he says to his disciples to include in it Trinitarian language, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I'll read it to you. You've read it before. Matthew 28 verse 19 says, go. Therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Not just with Jesus, not just in the Old Testament, not just in the Gospels, but after Jesus ascends into heaven... His followers, his apostles are writing the Bible. They don't know they're writing the Bible, but they are. They're writing the Bible, and they continue this Trinitarian doctrine. I'll show you 1 Corinthians 12 really quickly. A few weeks from now, we'll dive deep into 1 Corinthians 12. I'll just read a couple verses to you now. Verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 12. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. That's Jesus. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Holy Spirit, Jesus, God the Father in this verse, right? Then that's the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul finishes out 2 Corinthians, the second letter, uh, or actually it's the third letter, but we lost the second letter. I didn't lose it, all right? But somebody did, all right? So we got the second letter. It's actually the third, 2 Corinthians. We can, you can... Watch the video and try to figure that out later, what I just said. It probably doesn't make any sense. Verse 14, last verse in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Son, Father, Holy Spirit in that verse. And it's not just Paul, because you could leave here going, well, Jesus said it and Paul was like all about the Trinity, but nobody else is, right? Jude Jude doesn't have chapters because it's only got one. Verse 20 in the book of Jude, he says this. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Holy Spirit, Father, Son. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three persons, the Trinity. It's all over the Bible. And from these verses we just ran through pretty quickly, you can see that there's also no hierarchy there, right? Like it's not always Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's mentioned as Holy Spirit, Son, Father. Sometimes it's Son, Holy Spirit, Father. And there's no hierarchy. It's not like... It's not like God the Father is in charge and Jesus is second in command and the Holy Spirit's like bringing up the rear. All right? That's not... That's not, but that's kind of how we think about it, right? We think Jesus, or we think the Holy Spirit is kind of the third person, the last 
person of the Trinity, but it's not. Each of the three persons of the Trinity is equal, co-equal, fully God, fully divine. Okay, so we like this to be like really, you know, lined out and, and clean and clear and linear and easy to understand, right? That's kind of what we hope for. But I want, to, I want to just warn you against that, that don't go that route with thinking about God in general, but especially about his triune nature, how he is Trinity. God is three persons, each is fully God, but there is one God. When you're thinking about that, it's not so lined out. Let me, let me just kind of, let me just kind of illustrate. It's a mystery, right? Let me just kind of illustrate this. And so when we're talking about God and his triune nature, a lot of times what we do, if this is the circle of God's nature, a lot of times what we do is, is if we were describing God the Father, most of us would have kind of some similar things to say about God the Father, right? We'd all kind of say the same thing. So we would say, well, God the Father is just, and we would use words like wrath and judgment and maybe creation. We would use words, if we've been in church a while or went to seminary, like omnipotent, meaning he is all-powerful, right? We would talk about that when we're talking about God. God the Father. He is all those things. And then if we were talking about God the Son, we would all have pretty similar things to say about God the Son, about Jesus. Uh, we would, similar to one another, we would say, okay, well, God the Son, Jesus, you know, he's, he's more like, he's like the nice part of God, right? He's like way nicer than God the Father. And, and we would say like, okay, he has, he has like grace, you know, we would talk about grace. Okay, he's, he's gracious and merciful and he's omniscient, meaning he knows everything. In the Gospels, he seemed to know a lot. And so he's, but he's, he's kind of like my buddy, like he, he's got my back, he intercedes, like he knows my heart. If I mess up, he's always got open arms to me um, and all of that. He's a, also a white European dude. So, so we, we would all like be, okay, this is Jesus, right? And we would say, this is, this is Jesus. Now, when we started to explain or describe the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, we'd probably say real similar things to one another. We would say, okay, the Holy Spirit is omnipresent, meaning that he is at all places in all time. We may use like serendipity or uh, suddenness to describe the Holy Spirit. He's like suddenly there and then suddenly not. Uh, we would talk about discernment and wisdom. Most of us would talk about the fruit of the Spirit, right? Galatians. And we would talk about the gifts of the Spirit. And so we would end up going, okay, we understand God. This makes perfect sense. It's like a pie and he's got three different parts and, and the blue part is God the Father and the red part is God the Son and the green part is God the Holy Spirit and it just, it just really makes sense. It's all lined out. And there may be some crossover here or there, but in general, we would say, no, it's, it's pretty much clear, right? So the truth is, if we were actually going to describe and draw a circle that described the triune nature of God, the Trinity, it would, it would look much different. And so if this is the circle that God, that represents God in the, in the Trinity, we would, we, if we were saying, okay, we got God the Father, we would actually, if we were doing it right, we'd have to, we'd have to kind of draw God the Father everywhere. We would say, okay, yeah, he's, he's omnipotent, but he's also omniscient and omnipresent. He's, he's wrathful. He doesn't like sin, but he's also gracious and loving and everywhere at all times and all these things. And we would draw 
God the Father in that way. And then if we started talking about Jesus, we'd have to draw him everywhere too. And we would say, okay, Jesus is gracious, but man, he made a cord of whips in the book of John and he whipped some people. And so maybe that, I mean, it takes a lot of wrath to slowly make a cord of whips and then whip people with it. So maybe he's not so, you know, like everything's fine. And he's also, you know, he does know everything, but he's also all places at all time. He was there at creation. And, and so this is, this is Jesus, the Son, God, God the Son. And then if we started to talk about God, the Holy Spirit, we'd have to say the same thing. Okay, he's all, all of this, and he was there at creation also, and he's in the Old Testament, and he's all of these things, just like the other two members of the Trinity. And if, if we were really to draw it like it actually is, and we got close to this circle, it would be it would be hard to distinguish where one member of the Trinity ends and the other member begins. It would be difficult for us to tease that out. And then it would also probably look like this, right? There would probably be no circle in the end. Are you tracking with me? And so I just want to warn you against this desire in your heart, being a Western culture Christian, to have this all delineated and lined out and super clear. We actually need to learn, and this is hard for us, we need to learn how to worship God in the unknown. Learn how to worship God in the mystery. Learn how to worship God because it doesn't make sense. Because if it did that he wouldn't be God, right? Are you tracking with me? And so, so we got to be careful. It's not, it's not three separate parts of God. It's not three separate gods. God is three persons. Each person is fully God. There is one God, and he has eternally existed in this way. Okay, does it make perfect sense now? You guys feeling like, oh, I got this, no problem. Yeah, it doesn't, and that's okay. That's kind of my, my point. A lot to think about. Let's end this way. In our culture, in our time, in our tradition, our Christian church tradition, we tend to ignore the Holy Spirit. We ghost the Holy Ghost. We don't listen to his conviction and his messages to us, his guidance, his discernment. It's just the truth. We tend to do that. In our area, in our time, in our tradition, we have a tendency to ghost the Holy Ghost. Now, when people are confronted with that truth, churchgoers, uh, people who would fancy themselves Jesus followers, I hear two different statements at that time, and both each are, are equally concerning to me. The first, question, the first statement is this. They'll say, well, I don't need the Holy Spirit because I have the Holy Bible. I don't need the Holy Spirit like, like they, they did in Acts in the first church because they didn't have the Bible. But I have the Bible, so I don't really, I'm good. I don't really need it. I don't need the Holy Spirit because I have the Holy Bible. But listen, beloved, the Trinity is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, not Father, Son, Holy Bible. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, not Father, Son, Holy Bible. Now, if you've been here long, you know that Pastor Jake loves the Bible, right? 
that I believe it to be God's word, infallible, carry authority, all of that. I love the Bible. I love to preach the Bible. I love to read the Bible. I love the Bible. But the Bible is no substitute for the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. It is no substitute for the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. It is God's word, but it is not God himself. So we have to be careful. The Trinity is God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. Think about that. So the first statement I hear is, I don't need the Holy Spirit because I have the Holy Bible. The other statement I hear that's equally concerning is, I don't need, I don't need the Holy Spirit. All I need is Jesus. Right? Get the t-shirt, all I need is Jesus. Hashtag Jesus is enough. All I need is Jesus. I don't need the Holy Spirit. You can have the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to stick with Jesus. Jesus is good enough for me, Pastor Jake. Doesn't that sound, doesn't that, that sounds spiritual, right? Like, oh, yeah, that guy's awesome. He really just wants Jesus. I don't need the Holy Spirit. All I need is Jesus. When somebody says that, I go this way with them. I say, okay, all you need is Jesus. So that means, that means you're, you follow Jesus, right? Yeah, yeah, all I need is Jesus, yeah. Okay, so that means he's the leader and the Lord of your life, right? Yeah, Jesus, woo! Yeah. Okay, so that, that means that you, you like listen to what he says, right? Yeah, I love Jesus, all Jesus, yeah. Woo! Okay. Do you do what he says? Yes! All I need is Jesus. What Jesus said that you need the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that. I'm not making that up. That was Jesus. So if all you need is Jesus, then all you need is the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said you need the Holy Spirit. Let me show you what I mean in John chapter 16. John chapter 16, Jesus says something incredible. It is life-changing. I mean, it is just incredible what Jesus said. It's actually the verse that spurred me into doing this series on the Holy Spirit, the the inspiration behind this seven-week series. It's actually verse 7, but I'll start in verse 5 so you can understand what Jesus is saying. He says in verse 5, talking to his disciples, but now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So he says, I'm about to leave, and you guys are sad. Okay, that's what he said. I'm about to leave, and you guys are sad about it. Look at what he says in verse 7. Verse 7 is incredible. I mean, it should be the basis of how we understand the Holy Spirit, the importance of the Holy Spirit, why we should seek after him. John chapter 16, verse 7 He says, nevertheless, you're sad, but nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. What? How could it ever be to our advantage that Jesus go away, right? Like, wouldn't it be awesome if Jesus was still here in resurrected bodily form? Like, wouldn't it be cool if you could go have lunch at Jesus' house? I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, what what could be better? What could be more advantageous than Jesus being here in resurrected bodily form? 
Keep reading. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus, son of God, miracle worker, best teacher ever, most compassionate, loving, truth teller, Jesus just said that it's better if he goes away so that he can send the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus just said. And then in the book of Acts, he tells the disciples, hey, don't go anywhere. Go to Jerusalem. Just wait because you can't do what I'm asking you to do without the Holy Spirit. You need to wait for the power from on high. You need to wait for the Holy Spirit. So so listen, beloved, listen. The Holy Spirit coming was better for you than Jesus staying. The Holy Spirit coming was better for you than Jesus staying. Think about that. How awesome the Spirit must be. How amazing the indwelling of the Spirit must be. How incredible his gifts. How amazing his leading. How vital his presence in our lives. I mean, how incredible the Holy Spirit must be, right? Because Jesus says it's better. It's better that I send the Holy Spirit. It's better that I, I know you're sad. But it's better that I leave and send the Holy Spirit. It's better. How amazing the Spirit must be, right? Listen, Trinity, Holy Spirit, it's hard to understand, right? Eggs and H2O and pie charts. It's hard. It's hard to understand, but, but this is not hard to understand. Jesus, what Jesus is saying in John 16, 7, it's not hard to understand. Beloved, you need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit. We need his guiding. We need his discernment. We need his conviction. We need his voice and his peace and his fruit and his gifts. We need the Holy Spirit. Jesus said it's better for you. It's better for you. The Holy Spirit's coming. It's better for you than Jesus staying. So why would you try to live your life without him? Why would you try to live your life without him? Don't do it. Listen, beloved, you don't have to wait seven weeks to the end of this series. You can pray to the Holy Spirit right now. You can invite him into your life. You can ask him to fill you, to change you, to baptize you, to give you conviction, to give you discernment, to give you the gifts of the Holy Spirit, to manifest his fruit, to show his fruit from Galatians in you. You can pray to the Holy Spirit right now. Beloved, seek the Holy Spirit now. Ask for him in your life. In other words... You don't have to wait. Today, stop ghosting the Holy Ghost. Because it's only doing damage to you. And you're missing out on so much. 
at all of our campuses. Online, Germantown, Washington. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you for your word that is always timeless and timely. Timeless in the sense that it doesn't change and timely in the sense that it changes us. We pray as always that whatever was of me today in this message would be quickly forgotten. But whatever was of you, God, that it would, that it would like seed, find good soil in the hearts of many, that it would go deep and take root and, and bear fruit even, even quickly. We ask that you, Holy Spirit, would protect the seed that was planted today. God, I ask for those in this room, God, you know my prayer, what it's been for for months praying about this series. I, I pray that we would be a people, that we would be a people who love your Holy Spirit, who seek after it, who run after you, your Holy Spirit, who seek after the Holy Spirit and ask him to be in our lives. God, I pray that we would be a church known by the activity of your spirit, by the activity of the Holy Spirit, that lives would be transformed, that hearts would be enlightened to the truth of your gospel, that Jesus would be glorified here because of the Holy Spirit at work in this church, in Great Oaks Community Church. Let us not be a country club, shallow, no depth, no transformation. And let us not be a legalistic religious institution, void of life. Holy Spirit, fill us. Fill this church. Baptize us afresh and anew. Give us your leading, your vision, your revelation. God, give us, Holy Spirit, give us your gifts, we ask. May your fruit be shown in our lives. We want more of you. We want more of you, Holy Spirit. God, for the person in this room who is a Christ follower, but if they're honest, they would say, man, things are dry. My work for the Lord is leading me to burnout. I I feel weary. And somewhere along the way, I've ghosted the Holy Ghost. I've stopped seeking, seeking him. I've stopped asking for his guidance and his leading. I've stopped listening to him. I've stopped just being quiet and still in his presence. Somehow along the way, somewhere along the way, I have begun to ghost the Holy Ghost. I pray for that Christ follower, your child in this room and in Washington, at Washington campus and listening online. I pray God against that voice of pride that would come in in this moment and say, nah, I'm good. Nah, good, I got enough of the Holy Spirit when I was baptized as a kid. I don't need anything different. I'm good where I'm at. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would overcome that lie and that pride. And that maybe for the first time in their lives, they would completely open themselves up to you, Holy Spirit, to come in, to dwell in them, to change them, to make them new, to use them to accomplish your mission. Lord, I pray for open hearts and open hands towards your spirit for those who are Christ followers in this room. Right now, in this moment, 
if there's a willing heart, if there's someone bold enough to ask, God, I want more of you, more of your spirit in my life. If there's someone like that in this room, I ask Holy Spirit that you would completely just fill their lives and that you would fill their mind and their heart with your voice and your truth and your goodness. I pray for the person in this room who is not a Christ follower. They have yet to give their life over to you. They've never opened themselves up to you, Holy Spirit, even even that first step, that starting point to say, I believe in Jesus. Lord, I pray that your spirit would enlighten their hearts to the truth of the gospel, those people in this room, that you would convict them of their sin and that your gospel would be made clear in their hearts and minds. That you, Jesus, left heaven, entered human history, came to earth, died on a cross, a punishment they deserved, we deserved because of our sin. But you didn't stay dead. That Jesus, you resurrected on that third day and you defeated death and hell and now you've opened the door for us to have fellowship with you through your Holy Spirit. I pray that that gospel, that good news is clear in the heart of every unbeliever listening. In Washington, Germantown, online, God, I just pray that the gospel is very clear. Enlighten hearts to the truth of your gospel. As we continue with an attitude of prayer and your eyes are closed and your heads are bowed, if that's you, if that's you, then just, just ask the Holy Spirit in. Ask the Holy Spirit to make things known. Maybe there's doubts. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you faith. And then ask the Holy Spirit to help you commit your life to him. Leave here different than you came in. Lord, I pray for all these things in your holy and precious name. Everybody said, amen. Why don't you stand with us? We're running out of time, but we do have prayer workers at the side that would love to pray for you. Um, And if you would be so bold as to go to them and say, I want more of the Holy Spirit, they would pray for you to receive more of the Holy Spirit in your life, his voice, his presence, all of that. Just like scripture outlines, they would love to pray for you. But if you have any prayer whatsoever, you can go get prayer on the sides um, as you leave. And then here's my prayer for you today. May you hunger for the Holy Spirit, more of the Holy Spirit in your life. May those misconceptions about the Spirit be corrected today and in these coming weeks. And may you leave here refusing to live your life without the work of the Spirit in it. God bless you. Thank you so much for coming today. Make sure you come next week when we talk about the power, no, the purpose, I'm sorry, of the Holy Spirit. Bring friends with you and talk this over with your life group. If you're not in a life group, just stop at Connection Central. We'll get you plugged in. Leave here not dismissed, but be sent. Be a Jesus follower who makes and disciples other Jesus followers. You can consider yourself not dismissed, but sent. Go.